Welcome to the podcast where relationships, confidence, and determination all converge into an amazing heartfelt experience. This is Speaking from the Heart. Welcome back to episode number 86 of Speaking from the Heart. And today's episode is something that I would have never thought that I would have on the show. But after realizing the personal and professional aspects of this story that we're about to hear from my guest, I think that it makes perfect sense as to why we're sharing it today, that nothing is impossible to overcome, let alone your own dreams, your own aspirations, even the things that might have been told to us at one point or another. But then it's time to overcome and become something that we never thought possible. Today, we have Catherine Spolina with us. And Catherine grew up on a secluded ranch within the cadet organization, which is the Church of Scientology Sea Org School for Children. At a young age, Catherine began to journal about her day-to-day life, capturing the thoughts and experiences of a child coming of age in a cult. Catherine's background offers the rare opportunity to tell the story of the hundreds of children who rarely saw their parents and were indoctrinated to become future Sea Org members. Catherine is no longer a Scientologist, but lives in Minneapolis with her husband, happily raising three rambunctious boys. I will tell you, this is not one of these episodes that I'm going to stand and let it be told what you should be thinking. I'll let you make your own conclusions about what you hear from today's story and about how Catherine has overcome really not just the impossible, but also understanding that sometimes we might be fed things that are not healthy whatsoever. And what you might think about the Church of Scientology or not is not what my goal is on this episode today. What I do say is that you have to make your own understanding of what you have as your own opinions and your own fascinations about this type of subject. But I will say, if the evidence doesn't clearly say to you in this first-person account today of what you should think about the Church of Scientology, let alone other organizations that make you feel a little cultish, I think it's time then to maybe re-examine what your personal professional opportunities are in your life. But with that, let's go to the episode and let you make your own conclusion. All right, we have Catherine Spolino with us. Catherine, thanks for sharing your heart with us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here, and I have to thank publicly the Need a Guest Facebook group. We connected through there when I was advertising my show, looking for guests, and wow, your impact on me when I saw what you've been through is something of quite significant. So, Catherine, I've already let the audience know a little bit about your background, and I really just want to start off with a level playing field before everybody, and hearing it from you I think is really important. A lot of what we're going to talk about today is really your experiences with the Church of Scientology. I was wondering if you could just give us a level playing field so that we all understand, including myself, of what the Church of Scientology is, specifically what you were involved with for a period of time. Sure. Happy to dive in. It's a very big topic, but I'll just start from my point of view, which is I was born into the Sea Org quite literally. My mother gave birth to me in a large building in Hollywood. The stars were beneath me, and I was born as a baby, a Sea Org baby, it's called, because in the Sea Org, you are working for the Church of Scientology. You don't go to church. It's like being a priest, but not a priest. And it's a Sea Org member, and they dedicate a billion years of their lives, which is like, what? 
But that was normal to me growing up. I thought, okay, my parents are in the Sea Org. I'm going to be in the Sea Org. This is what I was told was my purpose. And I think by like the time I was 10, I'd already signed the billion-year contract several times. So it was like normal. I also did not live with my parents. I was in a dorm by the age of six, and that was in Los Angeles. My parents lived in the same building, just not with me. And then by the age of eight, I was sent away to a boarding school in the hills. It's like the mountains above Santa Clarita called the Canyon Oaks Ranch, and it was called the Pack Ranch Cadet Org. And it was sole purpose was for these children to become future Sea Org members in Scientology. All of our parents were in the Sea Org. We rarely saw them. And we all were operating as like a miniature Sea Org. So we all had posts, which were jobs. And we would work out in the hills and like deweed or take care of the horses and renovate the classrooms and be doing jobs that adults would be doing. But we were like eight, nine, ten. So I was there until I was about 14 years old. And then I was told it's time to join the Sea Org. Wow. So the Sea Org, yeah, it's kind of a lot. Yeah. And all this time, I believe in Scientology. Scientology, to me, L. Ron Hubbard is the person who invented it in the 1950s. I've been going to his L. Ron Hubbard Life Exhibition that's in Hollywood and seeing about all the amazing work he's done. He has all of these steps laid out. This is what Scientology is called the bridge. And if people do these steps, they become enlightened and better people. They go clear, it's called. So when my, to me, my parents are saving the world because they're helping people go clear is what they would say. And I believed in that. And if I joined the Sea Org, I would also help people go clear and by doing whatever job I was assigned to. That was my growing up process. So not a normal life, to say the least. And it's not until later in my 20s when I began to realize how much control Scientology had over me and my family. And not only that, because they told my parents to no longer talk to me because they thought I was an evil presence, just to like really break it down really small happened. And then from there, I started to do some research and I realized how money hungry it is. You have to pay for all these services. Yet my parents are poor. I was poor in the Sea Org. All that money is just going straight to the top. They're all treated inhumanely. And I was lucky enough to leave when I was 16 years old. So I wrote a book that capturing my life, what that life is like, because it's so hard for me to just say that all in like a few paragraphs. So if anybody really wants to get immersed in that world, I've written a book about that time of my life called The Bad Cadet, because I did not do well as a cadet, <laughs> the cadet work. It almost sounds like to me you were doing free work and being in a child slave trade sort of thing because of all the things that normally as a kid, we're like playing out in the street or playing with our friends or playing video games or doing something that is what we are learning to grow in. Instead, you're building houses and mowing grass. And it sounds like these are things that normally children should never be involved in, at least till a certain age where they kind of understand what responsibility is and starting to grow with that. Why were they doing that? Do you have any perception of that even to this day as to why they put people through that process? They considered us to be adults in small bodies. So when you go, oh, they believe in reincarnation. These little people have lived many lives. They are more capable than society treats them. So they can do these jobs. So at eight years old, I'm cooking in the galley for the ranch. And I am standing on a stool because obviously I'm too short. I'm leaning over, rolling the hot dogs. 
and I fall on the grill because obviously I'm way too young to be manhandling this large equipment. Different if you're at eight at home with your parents standing next to you and you're cooking together. I do that with my own child, but there was one adult and then there's like 20 kids all making the course accidents are going to happen. But it's because we're considered adults in small bodies and we actually did get paid. We had like a stipend. It wasn't a stipend. So we got like paycheck and it said our government, like our name and then like Bika would be taken out and going to the government and it was just $15 a week. And then ironically though, after a few weeks of me getting paid, I actually stopped getting paid and I find out it's because I don't have a social security number. Because when my mom gave birth with the midwife, she never filed the paperwork. So now I really am working for no money at all. And it, nothing is done. Like my other friends are all still getting paid. That's just a random side story that happened to me. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. I have to stop you here. So mm-hmm. when you were born, you weren't given mm-hmm. a social security number so that you would have something like savings and a social safety net that we have cherished in the United States. That That's just really confounding to me. It was just a low priority. They had to go back to work to save the world and do Scientology stuff. I was number four, the fourth child. So on one hand, you would think they would know this already, that you need to file paperwork. But on the other hand, maybe I was just forgotten. But I have other cadet friends, and all of us have very strange things. My one friend, Felicia, her name, she always thought it was with a Z. And then she saw her birth certificate for the first time, and it's with a C. Her whole life, she was writing Felicia with a Z. But because our parents aren't there, it's like we had to fill in these holes. And I thought my birthday was one day. I thought it was August 5th, and it turned out to be August 4th. Like, I have so many friends like that. A lot of misspellings of names, wrong birthdays, because our parents just kind of shunted us off. And they thought they were doing the right thing. They're like, oh, they'll be taken care of by the church. But it was like, who's nurturing us? Nobody. Have you ever been able to meet your parents and ask them why they did that? Have you ever had that conversation? Yeah, so my mom and dad, I would see them periodically. When I was older, from like 8 to 13, 14, every few months. And that conversation didn't really come up. I would ask them, like, why don't you know my birthday? I did ask my mom that. She's like, sorry, I went in labor at night. And then, like, it was early morning. Like, okay, fine, I'll give you that. When I was in my 20s and no longer a Scientologist, but I still maintained a relationship with my mother, I was like, I'm just curious, why did you send me to this ranch? That's not usual. Normally, parents hold their children close. You'll go to boarding school if you're like a problem child. You don't go to boarding school from the time you're an eight-year-old just because they're trying to raise you to be indoctrinated at church, right? But my question to my mom was, I asked her in a way that wasn't going to offend her because she's still a Scientologist. Why did you send me that? And she said, I felt like it was a safe space because she was poor from New York. I had it beforehand. She's Puerto Rican and she was born in Puerto Rico, but her dad came over to New York. She didn't have a lot of money. She grew up around crime. So she was like, oh, my daughter will be safe and she's going to be raised in a religion I believe in and taken care of. Why would I not? So to her, she was doing something for me. And I think in her mind, she probably thought she'd be more involved in my life, but she wasn't. Wow. I mean, it sounds like to me almost that it was the circumstances that your parents, even your mom, were going through, thinking that they were going to be taking care of, well, at least the children at least, but it was a completely different story. When was the moment you realized that this was sort of the wrong thing that should be happening to kids? Was there any sort of self-actualization or self-realization? And can you describe a little bit of that moment for our audience as to what you felt and how you reacted to it? Because 
I can imagine, Catherine, like going through these sort of experiences, being told, yes, this is the way we do things. This is the way that you will learn. And then all of a sudden you find out the truth and it just radically shakes you to the core. So can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that moment and you had that realization that maybe this isn't the way things should be? Yeah. So there's these moments of clarity and I start journaling about my life because I'm like, this is a weird life. I kind of wonder if I'll write a book about this one day. <laughs> I did have this reality of knowing that this wasn't usual, but I still believed in Scientology and I was like, I can write it in a way that was all the good stuff because I have good friends. There are good parts to my life. It wasn't all bad. And at the time when I was thinking of writing it, it wasn't going to be like an expose. And it's still not, to be honest. So that when I became an adult, I had something happen to me that was so hurtful. My brother was getting sick. I brushed on this briefly, but he was dying. He had a plastic anemia and they needed a bone marrow transplant. But before that had happened, there's this method in Scientology when if you're getting sick, it's because somebody is suppressing you. It's what it's called. You could picture bad voodoo or something. Like that person is doing things to make you get sick. So the church pulled me in out of the blue, called me, told me to show up to the church. I come in and this woman sits me down and she says, there's a report written on you that you're, you're making your brother sick and you can't talk to your family anymore. On top of that, your dad is not doing well on his post, on his job. He's a supervisor on what's called the OT levels. And I'm just like, whoa, like, what do you mean? Are you calling me evil? Are you saying I'm making them sick? That's crazy. She's like, yeah, don't talk to them anymore until you do your condition. They have something where you make amends to get back with the group. And I had done nothing wrong. And that was so hurtful to me. My parents stopped talking to me, my sister who worked in the Sea Org. So I was very alone, but luckily I had met somebody, my boyfriend at the time. He was not a Scientologist. And in Scientology, one thing that makes a cult a cult is they really close you out from outsiders. You can't talk to people outside of your group, especially and say anything negative because you want them to join the group. On top of that, inside your own inner circle of Scientologists, if you say something bad about Scientology, you will get written. So I will get reported on. If I said, this is so unfair that they did this to me, I will get in more trouble and probably declare to suppress a person, which means I would lose my family forever. It's such wild stuff that I'm saying, but this is how it is. So my mouth has dropped open, as you can tell, <laughs> know, because can I'm like, uh, wow, this is definitely of a cult-esque way of handling things. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, it's okay. It's very shocking. And I know I'm spitting this all out. So for the audience, at the end of our interview, I'll talk about resources of where they can get more information, including my book or other ways. But yeah, so my boyfriend at the time, he's like, hey, listen, I grew up Christian. I'm not going to be a Scientologist. Don't worry. You can talk to me. And it was such a sense of relief. Like, oh, I can finally talk about what's going on. And so like telling him and hearing it out loud and he's not judging me and making me put up a wall was the beginning of deprogramming myself because there's this moment of me hearing myself say that these people are telling my family to no longer talk to me because I'm somehow making my brother sick. It was so ridiculous, but I still remained a Scientologist for another year. I took my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband but to an, uh, what's called a Scientology event, which would be like if you were going to church. But it's like, oh my gosh. It's like going to like those huge evangelical big stadiums and there's like a guy on the stadium and everybody's cheering manically. And it was just like, like watching it through his eyes and they were trying to sell a new product. And I'm like, Alvaron Hubbard's been dead for 30 years. How are you still putting out products on him, you know? And that everybody has to buy it. And as we're walking out of this event, 
my friends that I grew up with are jumping in front of me, cash or credit card, cash or credit card. It was so insane. And I was just like, like these moments of clarity. And, I, and then I decided to go on the internet. And guess what? You don't go on the internet if you're a Scientologist. That's why they keep Scientologists in there. They tell them everything that you hear is a lie. We only know the truth. So for me to go on the internet was like a huge deal to research and find out for myself. And so by the time I was about 21, 22, I, I was aware of exactly the harm that the church does. Where I didn't know that they attack people who talk badly about Scientology. I didn't know all these things because you don't go on the internet, which is wild. First off, I, I want to tell you how brave you are to be able to speak the truth in this. And, you know, there might be people that are listening to this like, Catherine, you're telling a bunch of lies and I don't believe mm -hmm. what you're saying because I don't think Scientology is that way. And I have always said on this show, and I'll say it again, that I respect all viewpoints. I respect what everybody has to contribute to this. Even if it's right, wrong, and different, it opens the conversation about things that we can do to be better. That's what my business has been about. That's what I've been working with potential clients and even regular clients that I have about. I think it's all important so that we can continue to make progress because this is not progress from what you just told me. It is indoctrination. It is essentially brainwashing, which I've even used that term before we started this interview. I feel that it is something that is scary in itself because you don't really get the opportunity to really explore what's out there in the bigger world. And there's something that you said earlier that I really just want to hone in on a little bit. It, you kind of touched upon the fact that the group essentially disciplined you or created some sort of issues as it related to the situations that you went through that might have been negative in nature. Can you talk about that a little bit as to what that is and what you've been through? and why that was so important for them to kind of create that negativity in the first place. Because I think that it's really concerning to me that they kind of put you through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I grew up, it's wild to think about. This is happening at a young age. When I am 11 years old, I'll be captured in my book, 12 years old. I write a note to my boyfriend. I'm just going to give you like a low level of where this begins. I write a note to my boyfriend saying, let's skip source. Source would be a Ron Hubbard lecture listening to it like on an audio and I was like let's go and hang out over by the horses he gets caught with the note in the course room they call it a course room instead of a classroom I get in trouble not him well I did have the idea but still and then so they isolate me and they put me on the ECG and no one's allowed to talk to me so I'm on this group called the ethics correction that is meant to make me a better person and to better myself and I'm miserable now I'm doing hard labor all day and not going to school at all this is something that's already been happening when I'm like 11 years old. And what they're doing and what they do with adults too is anytime you do anything that's slightly bad or that they consider bad, they will isolate you from the group and then have you read a lot of Scientology stuff to better yourself. So you blame it on yourself and you think there's something wrong with you instead of the people around you. And then it's like a group think here too because they all look at you like, oh, you're bad. And then when it happens to them, Everybody does the same thing to them. And now they're isolated and they're fearful of that happening to them. So everybody's writing reports on each other. If they do something bad. Spouses in the Sea Org will literally write up their, up their spouse if they feel like the spouse did something bad. Yes. It's 1984 if you read that book. It, it sounds like 1984, the novel yeah. for sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and on top of it, there's thought regulation. 
So they do sec checks on Sierra members when they're like want to leave and go on vacation to make sure they're going to come back. They don't want it to blow, it's called. And they will have them confess everything they've ever thought. And like people will do like they don't, you're allowed to have negative thoughts, but yet in the CR you can't. And if you say anything negative, like, well, I thought about it would be nice to be with my grandkids. They're like, whoa, 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 that's way off purpose. We, you can't go on this vacation. We need to get you sorted out first. That's the type of control they have on these people. And it's worse in the Sea Org. If you're just a Scientologist, it's also really bad. But if you're in a Sea Org, you are captured. You are insulated in that world. And my parents have been in it for 40 years. They have no money. They are in their 70s now. I'm now hearing online. There's like reports coming out of elderly abuse. So I'm trying to figure out. They don't even talk to me anymore. I have no way of reaching them. They don't have a phone. It's wild. It's not even a church. You can call it a cult of Scientology is getting away with all of this. It's the year 2024, okay? Mm -hmm. We're in the world now of technology and having all mm -hmm. these opportunities to engage with other people from halfway across the world. We have the systems that are built in place, but it sounds like the Church of Scientology is living back in the 1800s. Yeah, and it's amazing that the amount of control they have on the CIA members and Scientologists who are living in the regular world around with other people will not. They will see a newspaper article that says Dan Matheson convicted for rape. Scientology has had a hand in covering up the woman or telling them not to report the rape. And they will be like lies and not even look at it. That's how well trained they are. It, it takes a lot for somebody to wake up from Scientology or to come out of it. Unfortunately, that's what cults do. Yeah, that is exactly what they do. And even some of the cults that we all have heard in the 70s and 80s, some of them that are not coming to mind right away, but there were some that were even broken up by the FBI and mm -hmm. others that the were Jonestown bring... town and stuff. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Thank you for oh, putting I've that in. Oh, I've been doing lots of cult studies. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me that even to this day and age that there's still those sort of techniques that are happening and that creates some of these opportunities that don't really happen because they don't really give the people that should have every right and opportunity, especially in the United States of America, although I have an international audience that listens to this, to be able to have these opportunities that they can have. It's just crazy to me to hear this. You touched on something that I really am curious about. And I know my audience will, too. How did you get to the other side? I mean, you referenced your husband. Thank God for your husband to be like, yeah. whoa, 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 let's sell the horses here for a second. But there had to be some grieving and some healing with that. So what have you done to kind of get to that space to especially articulate and talk about it? I mean, I'm shocked to sit here listening to all of this because I've mentioned this to other guests I've had on the show. Usually when we go through trauma or things that are significant in nature, especially at a young age like you have been through, we can't really process that. It takes a while for us to get over that. So can you walk us through what you've done to get to that other side, to be able to eloquently talk about that? I'm very impressed. Thank you. I think what helped for me was that there was a level of myself when I was young going, this is weird. This is different. So I don't think I was ever fully bought in. I was never a gung-ho person who was like, I believed in Scientology for sure, and I believed in Alan Harvard. But if you read my book, you're going to catch me going through these thoughts of like, this isn't okay, I don't like this, where I don't just accept everything. This is all okay for me, you know? To process the trauma of not being raised by my parents, 
not being nurtured, being screamed at a lot because it was very a military-like school. Writing about it, it helped a lot. In my 20s is when I put down all my journal thoughts. It was just a mess of thoughts and emotions. And then I got nightmares. I processed it in my dreams a lot. And that was for a few years, but that helped, I think, to get it all out there. And then once I decided to actually turn it into a book, going through it again and again and again, I wrote so many drafts and edited and then talking about it with my husband, talking about with my best friend who helped me edit it as well. That really, I think, was almost a form of processing and having almost like a therapist, but to myself. But when I had children, I had to do something else because it's different. Once I had children, then I really became aware of what my parents gave up. And I have three kids. And when my parents, again, they did it two times, they decided to stop talking to me. This is before my book came out because my best friend was on Leah Remini's Aftermath show. They felt because I knew that they could no longer be connected to me. And it was very sad. And I had twin babies and a three-year-old. And it was Minneapolis and it was winter. It was all these things. Double whammy. Yeah. (laughs) So I think I had like low-level depression. I was definitely not myself. I was irritable, not feeling my best. And I'm an upbeat person and I wasn't upbeat. So I got a therapist and she was somebody I could just talk to about everything and process it. And now I just check in with her every six months or so, especially with raising my children when they hit these developmental stages, especially when they're being very hard to work with. Like if they're dealing with a lot of emotions, I'm like, okay, what's the best way to help a child who's going through this? So I get help in that regard because I didn't have any modeling family of how to raise children. And overall, I think I do a great job with my children, but it's nice to have somebody who's a professional just give advice and tell me, this is normal, this is how they like this because of this, and here's some tips and tricks and so on. I've had guests on the show that we've talked about fatherlessness and really the importance of having a role model, like a father figure, even mothers for that matter. So I completely understand where you're coming from because for you, you don't really have that basis. So having that ability to bounce it off with somebody that's qualified, especially a therapist, which claimed the thing for myself, I'm approaching my fourth year anniversary of seeing a therapist and still working through many of the things that I've been through in my life, Catherine. Mm-hmm. And I can always say that it's always good to have that ability to talk about it, speak about it, have that connection so that you feel like you're doing the right thing. You feel like mm-hmm. you're making that progress. In the last few minutes, I want to talk about your book, which we've already alluded to a few times, but just to put it out there for the listeners, I'll have it in the episode notes in case you want to check it out. It's called The Bad Cadet, Growing Up in the Church of Scientology's Sea Organization. I'm imagining, Catherine, that not only do you talk about your experiences going through this process, which you've already shared, but when you were writing the book, did it trigger you a little bit? Because you were even just talking about in the last part here about just feeling a little bit of depression, anxiety, kind of having flashbacks of those things. Does it still impact you to this day, even as you talk about the book? And if so, what's your go-to to alleviate that? Because I can imagine that you're still processing some of those things. But, I mean, like I said, you're handling it so well. But yet the book is really a view for everybody else to see what you've been through so that nobody has to go through something like that, although it still exists, the Church of Scientology, for that matter. Mm -hmm. I feel that because of all that writing, I I overall am doing so well. The interesting part was I was going to have my book come out anonymously and not have my name on it at all out of fear. 
And there is something that people probably know about at this point is that Scientology is very aggressive. If, they, if you speak out on them online, they will flood you with trolls. They will even paper your neighborhood. They will send PIs after you. I was also worried about losing my parents, but then they took my parents anyways. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I decided to write the book. What I'm dealing with now, anxiety-wise, it was very scary, but actually it was very freeing to just put my name out there because now I'm not living a lie because I had friends who are still in the Scientology who are like talking about their wins in Scientology. I'm like, oh, I have to act like I agree with what they're going through. And so just to be truthful, I'm like, this is my story. And the funniest part too, it's not funny, but my book is not an attack on Scientology. You would think it is with everything I'm saying, but it's literally just me growing up in the Church of Scientology, and I have funny moments. I have, like, oh, that guy's cute. Total teenage coming of age, but it's just in the Church of Scientology, and you really get a picture, the full picture. It's not just going to be all these bad things happen to me. There's going to be joyful moments, too. And I felt like it was important to capture the world of that time. So circling back, how I feel, I feel proud and great. I don't have anxiety. Luckily, I was not attacked by the Church of Scientology. I might be too small. In, in the pond they have a lot of people attacking them right now speaking out i wouldn't even call it attacking like leah remini's show mike render there's a whole thing this is what i was talking about but any audience members are interested sptv on youtube is huge right now and it's all these different people who are in the sea org or just second generation scientologists born into scientology talking about their experiences so there's all these mediums now to learn about scientology and i think there's so many of us there's comfort in numbers so that it was so coincidental that right when my book came out, SPTV was starting. So I have a security blanket. It's very nice. So I don't know if that helps answer any questions. It does. And it actually creates a support mechanism that I feel that there's these individuals that have gone through or are still going through what you have been through. And it's really fascinating to me that this is the first time I've been exposed to this sort of conversation. I've heard of many different types of churches kind of indoctrinating people, but it's more of an individual basis and not really a streamlined because you hear about the Catholic Church and the abuse scandals with that, but mm -hmm. nothing to the degree of what you've shared. And even if it isn't an attack, I will say this, it's brave enough to just be able to talk about it, like I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. because for some people, honesty and truth Sometimes it's a really scary thing, and I know that from personal experience, and I think I have some haters of this show that will listen to this and be like, yeah, I hate you, Josh, and speaking from the heart because of who you represent. And you can't people-please everybody, but the thing is is that you're living that authentic life, and I love that so much, and that's what radiates from you. Catherine, before we close, I just have this one quick question for you, and maybe you want to try to just take it in a minute to answer this. What would you say to somebody that is listening to this, they happen to fall across it, and they are going through some of these experiences that you have lived? What would you say is one of the things that they can do to help them get to the other side? In other words, how can they escape from that sort of cultism or that sort of abuse that maybe they're going through from such an organization like that? Is there any advice you would give them? Yeah, I would say if you're already listening to things that are outside your norm, you're already on the right track. If you're listening to things that people have told you not to listen to, never let anyone monitor where you get information from. That's what got me out was I finally went and looked for myself to find the truth for myself. 
So go listen to whatever you want to or go read or watch and learn and educate and find out what's true, what's actually true and not what somebody tells you to believe or some group. I love that because truth will set you free. That's literally <laughs> what I was just thinking about when you said that. And being able to surround yourself with those positive thoughts and encouragements are definitely necessary. Catherine, you are an author. I would love to give you the last few moments. How can people get your book? How can people access to you if they want to reach out to you, maybe have a conversation? Maybe they're going through something quite similar to this. Maybe they want to have a one-on-one -on -one with you to kind of give you their perspective and maybe you can give them some advice. I'm going to give you these last few minutes to do that. Thanks. Yeah, you could get my book on Amazon for print and then ebook is everywhere. And then I'll have an Audible out in the next month or so. You can follow me on The Bad Cadet on Twitter, Instagram, and I just started a Facebook page as well. And I do answer DMs, and I actually have pictures from my childhood on my Bad Cadet page for Instagram. So if you're just curious and want to see some of the visuals, it's there as well. And yeah, definitely reach out if, you, if anybody wants to. I'm open. Not only have you been very open with me and our audience about this, I mean, first off, I'm going to put all this stuff in the episode notes so that they can access that, including your Instagram and even the book, too, if they want to buy it off at Amazon. But I have to tell you, you're a very brave lady for doing this. I think that many people are afraid to be able to open and express what they've been through because we live in this culture where we shun other people speaking out, even if it is from a unique perspective. Like I said earlier, I appreciate all the differences that come through on this show and even on all the things that I talk about, even myself. But I think you represent something that is truly important, which is no matter what is going on, if you feel that something is wrong, if it smells like something is wrong, <laughs> there might be something wrong and you should get an outside counsel. And I, I really appreciate your husband kind of pulled you out of that, made you see the true opportunity that there is in life. And I'm glad you've written about it. And for all those reasons, Catherine, thanks for sharing your heart with us today. Thank you for being on Speaking from the Heart. It was really fascinating and definitely a unique perspective story that I have loved to feature. And I appreciate you sharing it with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I really want to thank Catherine for sharing and being vulnerable on this show about not only her experiences being part of the Church of Scientology Sea Org School for Children, but also understanding that our viewpoints about what we might believe in an organization and what their effectiveness is doesn't necessarily meet the qualifications from time to time of being a very well-known or very thought-out process for even organizations such as theirs to really do good work. Because we might lose our identity from time to time, especially when it comes to understanding what we can create as not only those best versions of ourselves, which we have continuously preached on this show, but I think it's really understanding what our identity is in the long run. I don't know what to say. I really don't know. And I think that even to this day, I still think about the episode, and even as I record this, which has been months later, reflecting on the interview that we had, is really a fascinating topic in itself. Because I think there's a lot of different angles we can go with this. We could talk about working as a kid. Does it really help you to create that opportunity if you work really hard to get the credentials, the scholarships, the opportunities that are bestowed upon you? 
if you don't really feel like living in those circumstances, let alone those conditions, become what you really want to be. Then there's the whole other incorrect identity. Do you really feel that you should identify with not only the parents that you have growing up, but then to take orders from somebody else, not knowing what you're really supposed to be thinking in the long run? Then there's the whole observation about the Church of Scientology. Don't even get me started about discussing maybe some of those things that normally I don't normally discuss. But I'm going to let you make your own decisions about what Catherine had shared with us today, about whether you think that this is really a scary organization or not. But I think there's one thing that universally comes true when you listen to this story, and it's that truth will always set us free. No matter what kind of truth it is, no matter what kind of things that you might think are true, truth in itself can always be very scary if we're very skeptical of what that truth can actually create in our own lives. I think that we have to really think about the fact that truth, sometimes when it's really hard to face, is usually when we have to listen to it the most because we know that we don't want to hear the bad news that's ahead. Now, as a coach, and taking it from this perspective as a coach, listening to this story today, there are a lot of different things that I really have to say. First off, if you're seeking somebody to really tell you what the truth is, don't let them lead you astray. Don't let them feed you negative bullshit in order for you to feel like you are actually listening to them. And I literally say negative bullshit because there are a lot of people out there that will feed you a good mouthful of crap. And I know there might be a lot of people out there that might be saying, Josh, you're full of crap. I don't know why I even listen to you. And that's a point well taken, and I understand. But we can argue back and forth, whether we want to be on social media or not, trying to figure out what that best intention is that we're really trying to set. But I don't think that we necessarily want to hear that BS from somebody else if we know that that truth is really what's going to set us free. What if that's really what we're trying to say and we're coming from a good place? That's when you have to do your homework. And I've been a continuous advocate for always saying that if you want to have the best coach, if you really want to have somebody that really works with you and really wants to see your best interests in line with what you want to achieve, they will take the time to listen to what you have to say. They will help you set the goals in which you are going to set to move forward. They are going to help you become what you want to become. But it doesn't happen with a snap of the fingers. It doesn't happen from someone else barking orders at you, thinking that you're going to become something that you never thought possible. It doesn't mean that you have to always listen to those different opinions, even if they're coming from your own parents. Radical, right? I know that many of us can listen to our own parents, and maybe we have a lot of great experiences with them, being able to share some of those best interests some of those best hobbies, maybe some of those best jobs that we've ever had. But not everybody gets that opportunity. And I think that we have to live in a human body that has to experience some of these disgusting things in our lives in order to understand what happens when we go down the wrong path. But Catherine had a different story that she shared today in which not only was her husband willing to take her into this life that is not something that she needed to spend all her life in, to make sure that she realized that she doesn't have to always have those opportunities 
that the Church of Scientology was giving her, she was able to make her own observations. She was able to make her own conclusions based on all the things that were being told about her. She was able to do her own research and be able to make her own conclusions. And that today, ladies and gentlemen, if there's anything that you need to take away from this is that we have to make our own conclusions about what's ahead for us. Now, as a coach, I can give you an unlimited amount of tools, guidance, opinions, all kinds of things based on my own earned life experiences. But I'm not the Church of Scientology. I am not one of these cults that keep on saying that you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to attain life achievement. You don't need to always be skeptical of everything that I have to say because it comes from a place that you all know is not only hardworking, but earnest in its own nature. And from all the things that I have ever exposed myself to, not only outside of the business, let alone what I will encounter in the future, even part of my business, I know that sometimes understanding and learning from others can be the scariest thing that we will ever do. Which is why I want to spend a few moments telling you about why it's so important to re-listen to this episode if there is something that you have missed. How much more abuse will you take from something that is so incredibly disgusting in nature in your own life that you're going to continuously keep living in it day after day after day? How many more times does it take to go into that job and keep on listening to bullshit if you're not willing to change anything about what your life is all about? How many more times will it take for you to sink into your subconscious that every time that you listen to any of those people that tell you that you're not good enough, not strong enough, not forthright enough to understand or even retain the knowledge that you have or the ability to create that best version of who you are, how many more times will it take for you for that to sink in? If there's more than one person in your life that's telling you that you are worth more, it's that you might be listening to all those cues, all those opportunities, all those segments, but you're not listening to what they're really trying to share. Freedom is the ultimate gift when you're listening to that truth that will help you to set you free. Let me say that again. Freedom can be that ultimate gift that you give to yourself after you listen to the truth that will set you free. And I think all of us deserve to have that freedom in our lives, to be able to pursue whatever opportunities for development there are, whether they're personal or professional. I have had numerous people come through my business and have seen that work by doing it for themselves, be able to set them free for the vast opportunities that lie ahead for them. But the work is not easy to do. The truth that we often have to listen to in order to create that opportunity for ourselves is not easy to do. The things that we might be skeptical about and what we need to work on is not easy to listen to. But if there's anything that you have ever learned in this episode today, it's this. It doesn't matter what you do as a kid. It doesn't matter what you do as a teenager. It doesn't matter what you do as a young adult. It doesn't matter what you do as an adult now. It doesn't matter what it means if you're older. 
and you're still struggling with that identity. You do matter. Everything that you do matters. Everything that you create matters. Everything that you are involved with as a human being matters. And it doesn't matter what anybody has ever said to you, whether it's past, present, or future. You have your own opinion, and you're entitled to form it. I don't know about you, but out of all the episodes that I have ever done on this show, and you will yet do, this one rubs me a little bit differently. Not only is it somebody that actually took a stand for themselves and realized that this isn't something that they wanted to live in for the rest of their lives, they decided to consciously change. They decided to listen to the other truth that was out there. So I really have to ask you, are you willing to listen to the truth that is out there? Are you really willing to take that risk that maybe hearing it from more than one person can help you set goal that you have into motion to help you create that opportunity that normally doesn't exist, maybe even form an identity that maybe you can have if you're just willing to invest in yourself just a little bit more, because you are worth it. I've said it time and time again, I'm saying it yet again on another episode that you're worth it, and I think that Catherine has been worth it because of her ability to share this story with us. Don't waste this opportunity. Don't be stuck in a cult, whether it's your own cult that you created about your own self-image or it's about something else that you've been thinking. You don't have to be skeptical anymore. You just have to embrace the freedom that if you take the risk in order to listen to the truth that has been around you all this time, whether it's for personal and professional reasons, or even for your own business for that matter, it will set you free. And you'll be a much better person on the other side. That is no way, shape, or form a guarantee that you'll be successful. But I think you'll be much more enriched by the fact that you have listened to not only those voices, but you're not being swayed by those negative ones at the same time. Thanks for listening to episode number 86 of Speaking from the Heart, and I look forward to hearing from your heart very soon. Thanks for listening. For more information about our podcast and future shows, search for Speaking from the Heart to subscribe and be notified wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at www.yourspeakingvoice.biz for more information about potential services that can help you create the best version of yourself. See you next time.